my podcast listeners, welcome again to the Dom of X show where we analyze the printed pages of Marvel's Mutants. I'm your host, Professor Dom, and here at my side, my fantastic spiffy co-host and great friend Dylan Gray. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good, I'm doing good. I'd like to specify to everyone in podcast land that we're not actually next to each other because we're in a podcast. I'm just figuratively at his side. Yeah, we, yeah, because you know, we, we can't. We we have to make sure everything's safe and all that, you know, with all that's going on in the world. But we are still here. We're still informed. And that's what matters, right? We're, we're giving the word out to the people. And that's the most important part of this segment. It's that we are talking about X-Men, which is what we're supposed to be doing. And that's exactly what we are doing. And let's get into it, shall we? Yes, we shall. And so on the last episode, you guys heard us talk about the first three issues of house of x and powers of 10 now we're going to go on to the next three subsequent issues four through six for both series and in that we are going to quickly credit all the creators involved with the project house of x number four through six and powers of 10 number four through six story by jonathan hickman interiors by pepe laraz and rb silva colors by marta garcia and david curiel lettering by clayton cowles interior and exterior designing by Tom Mueller and senior editing by Jordan D. White. And with that, we head into the first page of House of X number four, specifically what humans have done towards mutant kind. And there are two references to past vets in this in the specific infographic. The first one being Genosha. What is Genosha specifically and how does it all tie into what's here on this page? Well, the event Genosha that they're talking about was at one point there was already a sovereign, not sovereign, but an island nation of mutants that were just trying to be on their own away from everyone. And they ended up being massively murdered by humans, which once again shows that humans and mutants just can't seem to get along. And it's not the mutants' fault again. This time they're trying to get away. And that's why I think it's so important that they reference it. Because that's literally what House and Powers of X, or Hawkspox, as we like to call it, is talking about. Because they want, they're done. They're done getting pushed over. And with the way that Moira's powers are in this uh, universe, they now know that there's multiple timelines where humans do just as bad or worse things, you know? And that's exactly the point, right? Like, we have Genosha again setting up, you know, Cassandra Nova uh, sending these wild sentinels into the forefront killing 16.5 million mutants had it not been for bolivar trask and setting up the master mold and these sentinels specifically to kill off the humans never would have happened but here we are professor x understands that yeah that this is this was a problem and absolutely bolivar i think should be on crimes for what he's done, right? He's a piece of crap, right? Like 16.5 million dead, you know, at Sentinel Trask death. And, you know, that's, that's I think, just an important part just to reference because this is this is something huge, right, in immune society. But specifically, you know, during the Marvel Knights line or era when Joe Quesada took to the forefront, got to be editor-in-chief, we saw a lot of new creative books and New X-Men, I think, was definitely one of them. And this, I think, shows us how darker, I think, the line can be. Definitely. And, and you know, having that Grant Morrison and, like, er, if I'm not mistaken, early Bendis 
too on there just really taking it and getting deep with the storytelling and showing that like you know it's not all capes and sunshine you know it this is this is some dark stuff that could happen in a superhero universe and why wouldn't it? exactly exactly and and that again it's a, it's important i think to reference this huge genocide right like 16.5 million is no slouch that's just an important part of x-men history that we'd like to sometime visit sometime later soon maybe but for now it's i think it's too important to reference this happened to me in history we need to go over it again and that's exactly what xavier's doing here and the other part too with decimation what's up with this why why is the pretender Wanda Maximoff, aka the Scarlet Witch on here, with one million depowered at her hand. So, House of M. What's House of M? What they're talking about with Wanda Maximoff, aka Scarlet Witch, is she actually murdered a bunch of mutants in the story arc House of M, where she said, no more mutants, and most of them died. I mean, it went from millions to I believe hundreds at that point. And it really was cool because the 90s, the big thing that the 90s did was give us just so many freaking mutants. And like, I, I'm not pro, you know, mass genocide, over 986,000 mutants, you know what I'm saying? But I have to say there were way too many characters. It was getting ridiculous. And th they didn't die. Some of them just straight up lost their powers. And it was during the Peter David X Factor run. They actually touch on that because Multiple Man jumps dimensions and he goes to a dimension where Wanda actually doesn't say no more mutants. She says no more humans. And so most of the humans population die. And it's like a whole crazy thing. There's a crazy Tony Stark in there. It's pretty awesome. Highly suggest reading the Peter David X Factor run post M Day. Really good stuff there. M-Day, I think, is just one of those things that just, if you, like, no matter what way you look at it, it's a huge loss for the mutants in this specifically that they lost, they lost their powers. And it's a blatant fracture and erasure of, I think, what a lot of the mutant stuff stands for, right? You get your gifts taken away from you and, you know, what are you reduced to? You're reduced to almost nothing compared to what you had before and it's just in no way like you said one million at just the hands of one person in many ways looking back on it house of m changed a lot of what marvel reality was and when when bendis said that this was going to be a universe changing book in many ways it did because it changes a lot of where wanda stands with the x-men the fact that she's referenced here as a pretender, meaning that now she's not a mutant anymore. They, the X-Men are just free to rub it off all in her face. She's not a mutant like them. She's, she's just another, she could just be another human because she depowered so many people. Yes, I totally agree with you, Dominic. And again, all of this is referenced, it just later in the issue as we see a lot of our ex-brethren die at the hands of Orcus. Cyclops is just weird for his team, Angel's dead, and... Kurt and Wolverine, they're out there you know, trying to fight and they promised that they'd see each other on the other side. And and we see as all of the mutants, no matter who, Mystique, Cyclops, and all of them just getting blasted away as Professor X utters no more. Look at how everything ends. It's always death, fire. And we get some beautiful splash pages from Tom Mueller who designed all of this. It's beautifully outlaid right here on panel with everything that's happened. It's just a cycle that they can't break and may never 
in their history. Yeah, it's it, that's the whole. They want to just be left alone, and that's like the theme. Like we're going to be left alone because you humans can't be trusted. <laughs> Straight up. As we continue on and trek along on our journey through House of X, and I should say Powers of Ten, because we're now on the fourth issue of Powers of Ten, we meet Magneto and Professor Xavier, and they're outside the Bar Sinister. They want to meet Mister Sinister because they have a special task for him. What do you think about Hickman's take on Mr. Sinister, this more joyous, upbeat, are you for it? Are you against it? Do you like Sinister all quippy like this? I see. I'm neutral. I feel like the Sinister, he could be anything. You know what I'm saying? I I feel like he's the John Lithgow of uh x-men villains you know you could just make him do anything and it worked if you want to be silly he could be silly you want to be terrifying he could be terrifying if you want to be this like you know chill you know a red a red a red you know let's let's get some genetics up in here <laughs> you got some genetics on you dude be a lot cooler if you do you know that's kind of like that's that's what i think would be real that's a fun little way that hickman's kind of brought to it and it kind of makes him almost more sinister because you know Literally by his name, he's he's plotting. He's up to something. So to have him like as a chill dude is like kind of like terrifying a little bit if you think about. It. And that's I think that's an interesting part because Hickman takes a lot of what Kieran Gillen did to the character, making him this fun, goofy camp lord instead of the brooding, bad, sinister man. Like this time, you know, he's all joyful. He's bouncing around and he's just mur- like straight up murdering his body doubles and clones and. Lo and behold, he has something that Charles wants, that Magneto wants. And like you said earlier, he has, or he's plotting to have these genetics. Like he wants the whole world DNA codified just for himself. Now what what makes him change his decision? What why how does he side from I'm with I'm me, I'm doing my own thing too? I'll do stuff with you too. Why not? So yeah, Sinister, I think, wants to work with him because it sounds like such an intriguing kind of offer. And what and working with these two guys together, like this might work out for him. He might be able to use them in the end. I think that's what he was thinking, which is probably why Xavier erased his mind to remember them in the first place. Right, exactly. Like, we need you to do this, dude, but you won't remember that we had this conversation until the day I tell you to, until the day that you actually will be working with me right next to me here and now. And lo and behold, like, they're creating this data log for all of Mutant Kind's DNA. They're putting it all in their one house, one transcript, and it's going to be run by him. He's going to be running it by himself and as we see in, you know, from the previous issues, in year 100 to powers of 10, Sinister, Mutantkind is his. And this is a huge offer that you can't pass up. It's impossible to say no. And just the whole fun of it, him just being all smiling and lollygagging, uh, just just made this whole part fun for me. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of a different way to see him. So we continue on after, after the events with Mr. Sinister, after Xavier mind wipes him we see these two these two fellows we see xavier and another fellow with this weird jacket part on his arm who is he who's cypher this this again this recent guy that we're we're meeting with right now what's he doing out here 
you think about it and you break it down and you're like, this guy's power is languages. He could talk to things. And like, okay, looking at people with like Xavier, Magneto, Colossus, Wolverine, all these people with all these crazy powers, like what? That's like the lamest power. But Hickman uses it in such an interesting way because he literally, he creates a language that he can talk to the island of Krakoa with. And they, and also at the same time, for mutant kind to talk to each other with and communicate. It's that it's that part that intrigues me because Cipher has always been weirdly one of my favorite mutants, just because I just like the transposal of of who he is. Right, like he's this new mutant went into Xavier's gifted school, has this weird bond with this weird alien called Warlock, where these two bonded over after like he was attacked. He bonded over. He's like, yeah, you know, and, and suddenly, because of his ability to learn languages, Douglas Ramsey, outside of his alliance name, he calls himself Cypher, right? Because he's able to cipher, you know, every single language and, right, like creating this whole entire body of language for mutant kind itself. We need, we, we all under one roof, we're going to create this culture. This is just an interesting part. Let, let me see if I can talk to this island. Let me see if I can't use my gifted abilities to create this entire building block, this foundation for what we're going to be setting in the future. That's what made this part so interesting for me as a guy who likes Cypher. Just a fantastic way to use his powers push the status quo further as the mutants are now creating their own identity to this new world. I agree, you know, and that's a really cool thing that Hickman does sometimes is he's he brings these high concepts to low concept characters. Who would have thought that it's so obvious now that you think of it, oh yeah, duh, he would totally be able to do that. No one ever thought about that until you hear it. And it's just beautiful, right? Cypher is just given this whole revelation xavier shows him this whole entire plan what he's got set up and he's like i need you to do this for me and he's all running this reminds me of the kid inside that would always like my dad tells me hey son we're gonna be doing this and that and then he reveals like he tells me everything that you know we're gonna be doing in the future that's exactly how cyber is like he's he's excited like he wants to do this it'll take time sure maybe a year maybe a couple months here and there but he wants to go out there and actually do it. He's so enthusiastic to talk with this island, Krakoa. Let's make a life here for a seven. Let's let me let me try to put my enthusiasm here. Let me inject it all into this new nation that we're gonna be building. I want all of us to be happy. And I think that's what Pikmin is trying to portray with Cypher. And what's what's going to be really interesting is the sea what seeds he's planting with all this. That's the thing with Hickman. Four years from now, this one little scene where he's standing in front of the tree could mean something so unbelievably important later. So that we didn't see before. That we're going to go back to and be like, oh my god, Hickman, you genius. He did it. Geniuses. Can we talk about how the island was formed? The specific why was Krakoa formed? Why is it sad? We go Cypher again is talking to Krakoa. What does he what does he find out? What what does Cypher in talking to this tree? What does he find out about the past of what this island was? Yeah, Krakoa has the island of Krakoa has beef with Apocalypse, because at one point he when he was doing his apocalypse thing with his horsemen, he came by and tried to attack the island. 
Cypher here wants to make life happier. And it's just a beautiful way of portraying his future relationship with the island. And that's what's going to be fascinating, I think, in the long run. Yeah, I mean, are 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 people already shipping them? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> like, what's the internet shipping community? Have they shipped them yet? You know, are we going to be getting some Cypher Kokoa Yaoi? That's the question. And the fact that we're saying it right now means that someone somewhere is drawing this, Dominic. It's happening. <laughs> That's an interesting proposal, eh? So we got Cypher, Warlock, and Krakoa all in just this one hot tub. That is... That's a thruple, is what that's called. That is that's spi- that is spicy. <laughs> yeah. It's wow, <laughs> but yeah... It's such, I think, a beautiful part and and real role of this. And the fact that he was also able to create a monitoring system for Sage, observation system for Black Tom Cassidy, external stuff for Trinary, and then Beast is on data analysis. Just brings, again, everybody together on one point, but knowing that Krakoa has some sort of infrastructure, thanks in large part to what Cypher is able to do with this island. With just talking to this fellow and using his abilities to create and help build this culture and set it up. Yeah. No, it's uh, it's beautiful. It's And it's so deep if you think about it. You know, this island was lonely and sad. Xavier brought him someone to help him communicate. You know, sometimes when people are depressed and lonely, they don't even know how to talk to people. They don't even know how to let it out. And I think that's like a really beautiful thing that Cypher is able to do is Give the island a voice to to tell them what's wrong. Have it work through its problems and grow and make a better place for mutant kind. It's, it's one part I want to see continue on later for this specific era of X-Men. And Cypher is going to have a huge role in how everything plays a part with the island. As we move on to House of X number 5, we're later going to see... That there are a couple of mutants here. They're on this UN meeting. Emma Frost is there. Beast is there. And most importantly, Xavier's there. So we continue on in the pages of House of X number five. And lo and behold, we're at a United Nations meeting. Everybody seems to be in key. Beast is there. Emma's there. Xavier's there. And it seems like everybody is in touch, is in tune along. Beast's. Emma, they're just hanging out with the representatives. Xavier is too. Now, who are the couple of nations that disagree? There's in with with Krakow. Why? Like, which are the nations? Who are the nations that don't need Krakowan drugs and don't want to side along with the X Men? Yeah, well, Wakanga. You know, they don't think. <laughs> they're just like we don't need to deal with you we don't need to work with you at all we have everything we need it doesn't matter and they do they don't they don't need to make any kind of treaty they don't need to even acknowledge them i don't know why they wouldn't that's that's their prerogative you can't tell wakongans anything they have all the technology and everything <laughs> and i think another interesting part is that Mr. Hickman also wrote T'Challa in his New Avengers run, and he was a central key part in that. Knowing Hickman and what is T'Challa and all of them folks in Wakanda going to do specifically with this. We continue on into the pages of Powers of Ten. Professor X is talking with Forge. Forge! I love Forge. Forge is awesome. 
I remember back in the day, there was, I believe for PS2, a X-Men fighting game. And he had a crazy finisher that was like a 54-hit combo. Really awesome. Using technology, which is his, his shtick. It's a fun part about Forge. And that's why we're here, right? That's why Charles is here. And he's specifically asking him about this one piece called Cerebro. So what does Professor X ask Forge to do here in this conversation that they have? And what specific materials does Professor X ask or have to help him build this one certain thing? So he asks Forge to upgrade Cerebro using Shi'ar technology, okay, to basically make it a giant drop box for all mutants' memories to help with the resurrection later on. He copies the latest version of every mutant mind so that they, these backups are going to be, again, essential later once we delve into what the resurrection protocols are. Forge just simply just says, yeah. I'm just going to, you know, Xavier doesn't even have to do it. He just tells him, are you going to do it for me or not? And it's very much implied because Xavier is floating around with that stupid bobble on his head. He does build it for him. And so we continue on. We're going into year 10 again, or the quote unquote current day. And Professor X and Magneto are here with, again, with Emma Frost. They're talking specifically what, what her place is going to be in this mutant world. The two ask her to bring Sebastian Shaw back into the Hellfire Club. Why is he being brought back? Why are we bringing a villain into the forefront of this new trading trade trading company? Well, because of his connections. He's got international connections, both human and mutant. So it only makes sense to kind of bring in somebody like that. And, like, the whole, I think, concept of Krakoa is about let's not worry about the past. Let's, let's build the future right now together. Right. And because and, it's, again, it's just an interesting key and take because Emma and Sebastian have had their struggles against one another. To, many, to say the you, least. You know, to many, say the least. Many times. <laughs> It's not something that's quiet. It's something that's, I think, blatantly expletive in that, yeah, these, these two are these two might not agree 100% of the time or be along with each other. And I think that's what's most going to be the most important part about all this. How does two people with conflicting worldviews work together? You know, we're bringing this again, this villain in with this meandering hero, anti-hero sort of person. And we're going to bring these two squashed in. But these two hate each other. It's just going to be, I think, something that is going to be hopefully played in much more. But what does Emma Frost want back in response? Because she does agree after Magneto and Xavier show her Krakoa. What does she agree to do just to bring Sebastian back in with reluctance? She will bring him in. However... She wants another seat for another person to give on the council in order to give her more political power. Because, like, to answer your question from earlier, how do two people that have different worldviews work together? Money and power. That's how. (laughs) 
and that's another this is just gonna be another interesting part because the hellfire club i think has been one of my more favorite parts of the mutant landscape to sort of study this part in particular with emma and how it's going to play a central key role because this is how mutants are supposed to leverage right we have drugs we want to bring them out Let's bring Emma, let's bring Sebastian, and let's bring this whoever this other person is into the forefront. Let's see how they work together. Let's see how they not work together. And I think it's going to be the interesting case study of what's going to be set on and planned in the future. Definitely. Definitely. And when reading this podcast, listeners, you really need to pay attention to all, all the little details. You never know what's going to be revisited later. You never know what is going to be a catalyst for or foreshadowing for something big because that's how Hickman plays he plays the long game and he plays it very well tiny stuff like this like that is something that that that's important to keynote and it's why it's highlighted and Professor X is just now he's just extending his invite to what's again with Sebastian Shaw back all the other villains are being brought back into the forefront we, we see Exodus Mr. Sinister Omega Red, and all of these different villains just being invited. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're good or you're evil. You are being cordially invited into the forefront of a brand new nation. He also extends this invite later to one of my favorites, Mr. Namor. What does Namor respond with, though? Because it just doesn't seem like Namor is up to... Or siding with whatever Xavier no. is planning on here. What what does Namor need with some island? With some, you know, what I'm saying he's like, bruh, I got, I got Atlantis. Honestly, if this was as like it's X Men, Marvel's Disney, so it really wouldn't surprise me if he just straight up went into Under the Sea. Namor just singing Under the Sea because that's he loves the sea. Why does he want to go to the surface? Well, I don't need you. I don't need your drugs. I don't need none of that. Under the water, bro. I gotta fight shark people. You know what Tuma's around here, right? I think it's less also that Namor is just being just this huge egotistical person that he usually is. So for him to submit to somebody else's invitation or to somebody else just in particular, which is just not coincide with what his character I think represents or stands for. And considering that again, Namor is one of those types of people there'd just be no way in heck that he'd say yes to any of what charles is doing either and he just simply just tells him to go away little man and don't come back until you mean it yeah he's there's also i think there's a there's a big part or a big chance that he'll come back sometime later in this run too there's there's no way that that hickman's just gonna like just say yeah i agree and i don't think i think he's gonna come back with I don't want to say vengeance, that'd be stupid, but he, he's going to play a big part. There's It's Namor, and Hickman is, uh, if anything, he loves Marvel history, so he's not going to leave Namor out of the big picture of his schemes. That's You can't write a big picture Marvel anything without Namor. Hickman used Namor, like Namor was a major part of his new Avengers run, and with him being an actual mutant... There's no way that this isn't going to foreplay. Same thing with the Wakanda stuff earlier. Like these two, they're going to show up sometime because they said no to Krakoa, but T'Challa is an important figure. But Namor, in much more of a larger light, 
is also going to be important in whatever he has planned up his sleeve. There's there's just no way that Hickman is just going to drop him in and just tell him no. Like no, there's there's something behind Namor. It's not vengeance, but there's something. We do know one thing: it's not a tumor. <laughs> Right? It's not. Oh, it is not. No, it is not, sir. Not the Tuma. <laughs> if we also look at this and we look at the, the year 1000 stuff and we continue to find out that the world is going to end and we read on and the phalanx are taking over. But we see at the end of Powers of Ten number six as the librarian talks with Two figures, we saw Moira and Logan hiding in the shadows in Powers of Ten number one for that year 1000 timeline. What is this supposed evolution? He's talking about the evolution of mutants as this sort of response to the environment. What is he talking about in particular here with that, with all of this in mind, with everything that we already know in mind? I think what he's talking about is basically the thing about human beings is they will, they will not give up. They'll ask the questions. They'll... They'll find the patterns, they'll figure it out, and that's like where the mutant gene came from in the first place. It was a response to kind of fight back. Right, and we find out that it's revealed that the librarian and just sort of his race are homo novacima, like these post-humans and using technology to... It's not, again, it's nothing that we've seen, that we haven't seen before. Like, you know, the human-machine right. stuff has been done to death with X-Men. With everything. And, Let's be real. It's with everything. Right? Like, it's not a new part in anything that Hickman's playing out. This has been something that's been going on, you know, all this time. And mutants, again, being this form of evolutionary response to the environment because they're naturally occurring. And we're asking the questions, you know, what what does what does man, when he controls all of these building blocks... What is all of this? How is this going to play and be involved? You thought that w- whether it was the Sentinels, whether it was the Nimrods, whether it was whatever machine they would use to defeat them, we find out that humans, they're just, the failings are going to destroy the Earth. The Earth, will, the Earth will end soon. And before that, Logan smashes the librarian. He, he punctures him in the chest. And he punctures Marin as well. Uh, to make sure that she knows about all of this that's going to happen. This whole, these post however many years of this human machine mutant war, you know, that's going on. Mar needs to know that this could possibly happen and she doesn't want to make it, she doesn't want it to happen. And that's what, you know, all these different plot points are here, right? As we can cover more of Moira. Yeah, no, Dom, that's a really astute observation. And so to track back again, as we see how everything sort of ties in with Mara, we'll, we'll tag back. We'll see what's happening on the island of Krakoa. Because like we've said before, the X-Men just died against Orcus. And now all of a sudden, we see these five mysterious beings. They're, they're being taken out and they're going on the island and they're being shown in all their glory. And Polaris asks her father Magneto, uh, you know, or tells her father Magneto, "Hey, they're they're here, right?" And Magneto again talks more about, uh, you know, what what humans have just done against human or mutant. What human? What? Oh my gosh! Magneto again is he's talking here. Polaris is talking here, and 
he, she's asking his father, hey, what are, you know, is there any good inside humanity? Where Magneto, again, with his domineering personality, just completely just agrees on the, or answers the point to, yeah, humans, they, what do, what have they done? And if there's anything that they taught us, is that they taught a society. And lo and behold, the five, these five mysterious beings come out in all their glory. And they are the five, where it's revealed that in the infographic charts, but also in Magneto's fantastic exposition, that these five have the astute abilities to not only resurrect the X-Men, but also to give them their memories and to bring back the latest version of what they are. The five are five mutants that come, that powers by themselves are really not that great, but when they come together, they make it so they can resurrect dead mutants. And that right there, Dominic, is what makes a good superhero writer an amazing superhero writer, is able to pin put people's powers together in a way to make it work unbelievable and you see this all the time and this is just another perfect example of doing that you know these are characters that like oh this guy could make an egg like cool like what's that gonna do but boom it resurrects and and because of the cerebro dropbox now they're now able to put the memories into these cloned beings and everything and and resurrect dead mutants there's there's no more dead mutants that they got tired of being killed over and over and over. And so they said, you know what? If this is what's going to happen, we're just going to always come back. F you guys, we're coming back. Like, who would have thought Gold Balls would be one of the five most important people in this new society? Like, if you told me back, I think, in 2017, when I first started reading X-Men, that Gold Balls, out of all people, was going to be one of the central keys of the cog for a resurrection line... I would have laughed at you and said, you're crazy. Who cares about gold balls? And Brian no, Michael no. Bendis actually came on a podcast where he where he was like, I'm really glad that Hickman was able to turn my creation into something special. That's it, it's, it's just a testament, like you said. Yeah, because he was a throwaway character. He was a nonsense character. And to be able to use characters like that is always amazing. I, I like to reference now My Hero Academia because they do that unbelievably well. They You meet these characters, they're like, that's not that cool of a power. What makes you so cool? And then he just uses it in a way like, David, oh, I didn't even think about that. For instance, there's one character that he has these like great purple or these purple balls that grow on his head and if he rips them off he can throw them at people and they get stuck to them everyone else gets stuck but he bounces off of them so he uses them as like jumping kind of to keep them bouncing or to like subdue bad guys or even to scale the sides of buildings you know and you think because you hear these powers are like that's lame you can make gold balls cool but no he's making eggs to hatch mutants it's it's so awesome it really is and as we look into the pages that tom mueller gives us for the infographics specifying what these core guys are here for right like sinister as we already saw in powers of 10 he has the specific code the specific dna that we need for the genetics of the mutant and we have the host body and so we have fabio medina aka gold balls He's going to give us the eggs. We have 
Kevin McTaggart, who's the son of Mara McTaggart. He's there, and he is going to make the eggs go from unviable to viable. He's able to warp reality so that the eggs can actually be used. We have Joshua Foley, Elixir. He is capable of kickstarting the process of life. He's going to make sure those cells replicate. We have Ava Bell, Tempest. She's able to create and mature the husks so that the desired age can hit well. And then Hope Summers, who's my personal favorite of the five, she is able to enhance and synergize the entire resurrection material so that the success rate can be 100%, make sure that everything is finalized so that the actual mutants can come out from. But my question is to you, we look at all of this, right? We, we see Charles Xavier, he has the backups or quote unquote, the latest version of every single mutant mind. There are certain problems that that arise even with this, even though we know that more resurrections are happening by the day. What are the problems? It's written pretty thick and black. Some of the problems are. Oh, so basically if the mutant has more than one power, it could cause a disaster and <clears throat> it could mean that they, they can't make, like come back the right way. Especially like if it's manifested right before they die. It is a problem. Another one that occurs is that it's going to take a dang long time for them to speed up and ramp up the process because Professor X has a life outside Resurrection, or at least I hope so. And uh, we see here that it would take around, quote unquote, 300 years to bring back everybody who died and let alone all the depowered mutants from, you know, that might have died or etc. And so, so Xavier would have to ramp up the process and all these other five mutants they'd have to ramp up and that's the thing the major problem is that they can't get them out in time and that there are some key cogs even though that yeah sure they are they are in a unit and it's a it's putting out efficient stuff it's just not as efficient as i think that they'd like it to be and that i think arises in a problem with with all of this that's going on (laughs) Yes, definitely, definitely. I mean, the guy's trying to make a nation. Like, that's not something you can just chill out and do. It's not like, hey, you know, we'll go with the flow. Like, no, no. Like, that's a lot of stuff you got to take care of. And I'm wondering if they're ever going to touch on that. Because it's not... I I guess with him being a telepath, it makes it a little bit easier, right? And I think they will. I think we'll definitely, again, as we continue on the X-Men line, that they'll touch on a lot of what these protocols are. And the five of them specifically maybe even a book or two just about them, you know, hopefully in the future and it'll come out and we'll have fun analyzing that. Now, the major thing I wanted to talk about specifically with this and why I kept it so far at the end of this certain episode is that I think this is a major important keynote, not only in X-Men history, but in comic book history, where we now have this plot device, if you even want to call it that, where... All of a sudden, let's just say Jean Grey dies and now we have, like, it means nothing now. What What is Hickman trying to say about using death as an emotional sort of device so that, you know, when a character dies, you know, we're all like, wah, wah, you know, we lost him. What are your specific thoughts on Hickman creating the resurrection protocols, talking about, you know, the intellectual properties, you know, either coming back? What, what are your full thoughts on how this was implemented? Well, it's always been the joke forever. 
when someone dies in comics, it literally means nothing. It means nothing because they either come back or they reboot or whatever. There's always a way it comes back. Sometimes it's brought back through the actual storytelling and a plot device. Sometimes they just literally just reboot it and bring them back or retcon it. But with this way, using it like this as like a way of just kind of saying like, this is comic books. It shouldn't surprise you that this is happening. Get used to it. it I like to always, something I always have said is comic books is like, the the bizarro rr martin he's trying to he kills everyone you love but the the x-men kill everyone you love or um, comic books kill everyone you love but bring them back you know <laughs> a few years ago they had wolverine die and i remember everyone on my on my facebook feed all these cash you know watching the movie people were just like oh my god how do you feel like he's dead like that's that must really like no it doesn't matter he'll be back like in five years, he'll be back. And lo and behold, what happened? Like, almost exactly five years to the date. <laughs> it's crazy, right? And I think that's just a staple. Not only are just characters, but just intellectual properties. Like, you see Batman dying in Final Crisis. Jason Todd dying in Death in the Family. You see all of these different characters. Like, lo and behold, like Jean Grey the stupid phoenix force i am sort of sick and tired of writers using deaths as an emotional point so that they can push that so it's like oh my gosh you know like this character's like we know they're gonna come back i think that's the i think that's the part i'm most irritated by is that like we saw barry die at the end of crisis and infinite earths number eight 23 years later he's brought back into the forefront and he's the main flash again Jason Todd, again, like I said, he died all the way back in 1988, I believe. And lo and behold, mid-2000s, he's back. I'm, And I think what Hickman is trying to do here is that you have to, you can tell emotional stories, but you don't have to kill characters just to create emotion. And why, why I think this is perfect for this entire X-Men line is that a resurrection is now in the mythos. It is now codified. It is there. If you kill a character, let's just say we kill Scott. Oh my gosh. He's no, he's not. He's going to come right back because it's just how it's just the way it goes. We kill, I don't even know Magneto. Let's just say we kill Magneto. Okay. We can bring him back. And I think it's great as a tool for not only the guys to use the X office to use when when a particular mutant dies, but also in the key part of let's not use death as a way for characters to grow emotionally or to just grow fun, like fundamentally grow as characters. Let's use the let's use this to make sure that you can create your fantastic stories, create amazing character arcs but don't do it at the expense of someone else's death you have to earn now with this you have to earn your book you have to if you want to create your own x-men book if you want to make people fall in love with the characters don't have them die off now you have to start from the ground up get people invested and make sure that the story you're telling is in a way that yeah we're not going to kill anybody we're going to make sure that people are bonded people are, you know are here together and just not use death as this plot point for, oh man, my 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 guy died. She died again. I I don't want to see that. And I think that's exactly why Hickman decided to 
create the protocols, not only so that it's mythified in the X-Men universe, but also now you have to create your arcs with your characters, but in a way that doesn't involve misfiguring, beheading, whatever it may be to a certain character. And I love it. Wow. I don't, Dominic, you said it better than I could have. We've delved in and because of the resurrection protocols, now we have our heroes back in the mainframe. We, we have our guys here. Like that's not, it's not a surprise that, you know, all the other X-Men are being revived and now everybody's back. If you are a mutant, you can be brought back to life. It doesn't matter if you are dead all the way back in the past. If you are forgotten, if Hickman knows you, or if Professor X, I should say, knows you, you're going to be back into the <laughs> forefront. I mean, both. More both. Exactly. And and of this are some of the, just the most bone-chilling pages I've ever heard. And, and from what we saw in the later Powers of Ten issue number five, Professor X sends out his invitation to everybody, not just heroes. But for the first time in X-Men history, we have... All of mutant kind standing with one another, toe-to-toe, face-to-face with the same mindset, same goals. They're getting an overload. And just these beautiful pages of almost every single mutant villain are major ones that you could think of. And they're here. And Apocalypse is here. And he misses this land. And everybody misses this land. And just are you excited to see any of these x-men villains just in the forefront like no again not only are the heroes here but we are going to bring in the super big bad guys here they're here to stand with us all of them because they have the mutant gene and they got invited and they said yes they said yes to this utopian society yeah this is i'm really like what i really can't wait to see and something i'm really excited for is what Hickman is going to do with Legion. That is what I'm excited for. How can he... What 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 is in his, play, in his mind? Because he's playing with all the X-Men. He gets all X-Men to do whatever he wants. So what's he going to do with them? And Legion is such an amazing character with so many layers and powers and all that kind of stuff that he can go with a million angles. And I just have this... This feeling that we're going to see Legion in such a crazy, amazing way. Like, what if, here's my, this isn't a theory, this is just a what if, random kind of thought. What if that's not Xavier this whole time? What if that's actually Legion? What if he's been tricking everyone this entire time? It is crazy. Like, there is just so much that you could just throw and like, Professor, like, Professor X, like, what? We've been played. We've been played. And that's why we have all of the bad guys here, right? On this, on this island, you know, with us. And yeah, because they'll be busy fighting with each other. And then here's the Legion, you know, or whoever behind the scenes controlling the whole shebang. What if this is the Shadow King? You know what I'm saying? Like, there's so many things that could be pop off from this. And with the idea of the psychic powers, it's endless. It's endless. What's something crazy? What's something crazy you want to see, Dominic? What's what's some madness that like just just a crazy theory that you could throw out there? I mean, I really don't know if I have it because just everything is just again into 
everything is just into play with all this. What I would want to see is Sebastian Shaw not only taking his stance at the forefront of the Hellfire Club, but just also taking over the entire Hellfire Club. It's like, he's going to be running it. It's not going to be whoever. Like, it's not going to be Emma. It's going to be Sebastian's show. I think he will not kill off, but just push off one or two mutants aside so that he can get the money, he can get the power. And with the conversation again that we saw with Emma earlier, it's definitely in the possibility that Sebastian is not only going to control the Krakoan trade, but he's just going to have a bigger stake now in this this X-Men, X-Men universe. That's, that's what I want to see. I want to see a good old Sebastian Shaw just being angry, but also just taking control of what he can get. Oh, yeah. A Shaw down, if I may. <laughs> Speaking of that, we have this bone-chilling speech in House of X number six as we straddle along to our last ride for this series as Professor X... We see what we saw it unravel in House of X number one via exposition, and now we get to see Charles with Magneto standing at his side for the last time in their lives, talking about what his plan is, what's going to be the future of mutant kind, what's going to be the future for mankind, why they are here, and he wants us, and he wants us to realize that he wants peace, but that he's going to have the leverage, and this is our turf now. And there's nothing that you can do about it. And that the world changed while they slept. And that mutants, this is their world. This is theirs to interpret. And this is this is just how we're just, just going to run the show now. And it is a bone-chilling speech. It is beautiful. And so with that in mind, how, what is the, what's the quiet council of Krakoa? We we see them after the speech that he gives, sitting here at the table. There's a bunch of people here. What are they here for? Who are they judging? Well, unlike uh, reg- normal justice, they're kind of they're not interpreting the laws. They are telling. They are con- uh, protecting the laws and enforcing them. And the main law that they're trying to say is no more killing. That's a main thing. They want to. They want to make it very because it may, it looks good on the international kind of level to let them know like we want our own thing and our law is not to kill. And in fact, here's this asshole, freaking Sabretooth. You know that guy that's killed a bunch of your humans. Yeah, we're gonna throw him in a mutant jail. So you're welcome. And that's part of the, one of the three laws that they codify in right to murder no man, not necessarily murder no mutant. Because you murder a mutant, doesn't matter. We'll bring him back. Like, it's it's no biggie. But mankind, because they want peace. And to get that peace, we just need to say, from this day on, we're friends. Let's respect each other. No more killing. And that, that part to me was important. Again, we saw Sabretooth completely destroy, <laughs> kill off a bunch of guys in the earlier pages as we touched on it. And now he's just being thrown into this pit of exile. And, you know, he's gone forever. And that is the end of him, as we'll see for, well, a good foreseeable amount of the future. I don't know what it entails for him. Besides that, he's just stuck there forever. (laughs) 
Heck yeah. For now. For now. For now. Uh, well, the second law of Krakoa is you don't tell anyone about Krakoa. We, because we, we want to respect. <laughs> we want to. That was a Fight Club reference, Dominic. <laughs> I can't believe you didn't catch that. Have you not seen Fight Club? I have not, no. <laughs> no, I, I want our listeners to know that you have not seen Fight Club. And you guys, I'm going to make sure that by the next episode he has seen Fight Club, okay? Because I'm going to drill him on that. I can't believe you haven't seen Fight I'm Club. I'm so sorry. I Ugh. I tried. Okay, I will yeah. I will watch it for all of our, our listeners. In. But yes, the, the second law is... You, you need to. This is important. Yeah, sorry. What's so? What's the second and third law? Sorry, I interrupted. So the second law, as we know, is to respect the land, is to respect the sacred Krakoan land, uh, and to just uphold it. Like you know, we're on this island. We're here. Like you, there's a living mutant. We're we're walking on a mutant, and so that's what we're here for. We're here to respect it. And the third one. And this is, I think, the most interesting part because it gets all the hornier X fans starting to do their thing. Make more mutants, whether by resurrection or by doing it the biological way, as we both know what, exactly what that entails. And doing it. Actually doing it. And Kurt just there. Kurt Nightcrawler, he's smirking. He's smiling over here. And, you know, he is referencing back to when... And he's got he's got God's wisdom on his teeth, great reference, and quotes a Bible verse, and to just create more, make sure that we we're replenishing the earth. We're going to multiply. It's just a part of the resurrection protocols and everything that was laid beforehand about mutants being Earth's true inheritors. And we see Kurt over here; he's smiling, and we are codifying it and saying, "Yeah." Let's make let's make sure we got more mutants on our side, and it's a it's a and these three I think are important keystones to what there is to be in terms of world mutant relationships, but also to mutant mutant relationships, both platonic, romantic, however you want to describe it, and I think it just sets up the next parts perfectly. Real world Kirkoa. <laughs> what happens when you get six different mutants with different powers? Do it. it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it is crazy. And we and we get to see more of this unravel. We go on to powers of ten number six. We flash back to the first conversation with Mara and Charles. Mara tells Charles that he's been the same throughout all of her lives and that she is going to, again, help Charles break all the rules and to make sure that they are, that all of mutant kind is together. And that's how we see Krakoa build and form, right? It's from what we saw in the previous pages with all the mutants coming on the island, the resurrection stuff, and everything all this sort of ties into this one lasting conversation where we find out that Charles has been dreaming the wrong dream. And it's time to look past that. Time to look past the school. Let's sit up this nation with everyone here. We're just going to completely break off the rules. We're going to completely shatter everything else. We're going to make this happen. We're going to make this work. We're going to make sure that we win. And so last in points, 
What does more explicitly say about how some of Krakoa has to be run, and what are her concerns with Charles and the rest of the mutants? Well, I think her her main thing is a she doesn't want Destiny there because Destiny or really any precogs to come in at all. She thinks that's going to mess up everything. It's going to because she can't. She's seen the past. She's seen the the past, but she, she's not necessarily seen the future, per se. So. Or she wants to be surprised. She wants to make sure she does it the right way. To know from her mistakes and everything. Because that's how she grows. Through her lifetimes. Exactly. And and we see that she has concerns again. Just making sure that there is some shadiness behind here. And how this whole nation is running. Because it's not just Charles and Magneto there. It's also more behind the tenfold. And everything changes in the last pages. And we see... Professor X and Magneto simply out flat telling her, we're not going to lose this time. We're going to win because we're different. This is different. We are embody. We are going to be embodying this new change, this new us. And how confident are you going? How confident are you in this new nation state as we move on from the last pages of the of this book? Yeah. I think, and though they have a lot of good ideas and have done a lot of planning, they still have a lot to learn. None of them have ever built a nation before. Apocalypse has gone pretty, you know, but none of them have really built a nation or or led a nation, uh, at least not in this lifetime. That's why I think it was so important for Xavier to go and try to get Namor, because Namor is a king. He knows international geopolitics and all that kind of stuff, so... I think that's what they're going to slowly kind of learn. The one one up that they have over everything is the powers. We don't we don't have we can't do stuff, but they have all the gifts and abilities. And you see in these last pages of House of X number six and Powers of Ten number six, where they're just celebrating. And this is at the end a celebration of I think what this book has done has shown us all of what we love about the X Men and how they are going to set themselves forward for the next part in their future while keeping all of the same stuff that we knew, but also that we are just going to be celebrating this new dawn, this this new house that's that's here on her on Earth. We they acknowledge that this is we are not perfect. We're not going to be perfect, but we're going to try. We're gonna try our best to do whatever it takes to make sure that we win. And make it so that mutants can live in peace. At the end of the day, that's all they really, really want. Justice and peace. That brings us to the sparkling end of what has been a fantastic study on House of X and Powers of Ten by Jonathan Hickman. What did you think about Pepe Larraz and Arby Silva? With Marta Garcia on colors for the art. Well, right off the bat, <clears throat> Dominic, I'm going to tell you right now, I actually didn't like it. Oh. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> it was freaking, every page is just gorgeous and beautifully done. I mean, I I can't give him any notes on how good it was. And it almost lets you, like, deal with the same pages that they used o- over a few times. Because it's just so gorgeous looking and so well done and i mean we we're this is a study on on x-men but man like just 
just the artistic study. Like people need to be paying attention and learning from these pages because it's so beautifully put together. I mean, the the page layouts, the the progression of the storytelling, just every every little bit of it was just so well composed. It was it's beautiful, beautiful to say the least. I think another fantastic note on that has just been the colors for Garcia just stand out so much. Like you look at again, you look at every page, the cross hatching, the penciling, the cleanness, but also just the the depth of world building that those two and a particular Pepe, because I, I think I prefer Pepe over Arby, even though I do like them both, is that they're able to construct worlds in such a way that it's fluid. It's a grand environment and it is living like these pages pop out. You look at them and you see Xavier walking out. He's telepathically projecting a message. Cyclops as he's fighting on the Orcus field and the lands of Krakoa, the, the hatchery. Everything is just so beautiful and groundly. It, it works with the type of story that Hickman's trying to build. With, in particular, the world building again, as we see everything assessed here at the end. But how, again, it's beautifully laid out in these panels. I'm just so much in awe of what the creative teams on every single level, Tom Mueller on Designs too, have just been able to portray and put upon these pages. I, I, I want more of this. I, I, I can't say enough that... Like, I, I can't compliment them enough. This was just fantastic on every single level and i was flat out amazed by it definitely i mean like i said this is uh the dawn of x is a it's it's a dawn of new comic booking as far as i'm concerned what was your favorite what if you had to choose one part of house of x and powers of 10 that you loved or that stood out to you what part is it oh 100 percent the siege on in space when they're when they're on the space station oh my fighting the mother mold oh my god so good i loved every angle of that i liked all the fighting the part wolverine's death oh just so beautifully done across just so so well done you know and that that part always stuck out to me through the out of all 12 issues that those those parts where they're just all dying off one by one it was just done so well you know it's it's beautiful. I think if I had to choose mine, it would it would have to be that bone chilling moment at the end of issue number five of House of X, where Apocalypse and Xavier, Apocalypse again out of all people, shakes hands with the professor, and proclaims that this new era is going home. Right, like we've seen what Apocalypse is like. These are all big bad guys. It doesn't. Those affiliations don't matter anymore because we're on the same fighting ground. And who would have known, like, for the first time in history, because this is one of the couple of brand new things that Hickman has introduced to the mythos. It's all of mutant kind fighting on the same level. And lo and behold here, Apocalypse, a man known for his mighty destruction, is now standing toe-to-toe and shaking hands with... The man who started it all with Charles. And that will always give me the bone chills in the best and worst ways. Makes you think. 
but it's also just a beautiful page where the sun's just shining on him and it's the dawn of a new era and who can stop us now and it's and it's just so and and it's so perfect too you know it's a new dawn and at the end of the day that's what x-men is it's kind of about it's about hope and the future and how can we make it better it's a beautiful part just as the all of this planned out and as we move on from this 12 issue series that we'll be covering the dawn what this all means well how do we look at mutants now what are they doing with all of this entailed now that they have established their own nation who's going to play into it what will we see from charles what will we see from the summer's house what will we see i don't we want i want to see what what happens here what happens there and I can't wait to do this the next time with you on the next episode where we cover and go more into depth of what the outbreak of this new House of X is. And so with that, I'd like to thank my, again, wonderful co-host Dylan for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for talking about House of X. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. You know, I love talking comic books. Same here. And you can find me on Domovex Studio on Twitter and Instagram. And where can we find you, Dylan? You can find me on most social platforms such as Twitter, Livit, and Instagram as Mr. Dylan Gray, MR Dylan Gray. And don't forget to follow the Grand Geek Gathering, our parent site that takes care of us. And shout out to all my GGG homies. And please please check out the other content creators of the Grand Geek Gathering. You will thank me later. I promise that. All respective designs for the episodes were co-created and headed by my very good friend Maruf. You can follow him on Instagram at Maruf, M-A-R-U-F, 99designs. Thank you again all so much for listening beyond the island of Krakoa with your very own professor the next time.